0: Hey everyone, what's going on? Welcome to a brand new edition of the Sam Bissell Podcast on the ambiguous podcast solutions. And right now, I'm going to be bringing you the latest and greatest going on around the world of Hollywood. Hope everyone is having a wonderful Tuesday, a wonderful start to the week. Sorry I wasn't here yesterday to bring you a new episode of the podcast. There was a lot going on that I had to get done to start off the week. But I'm here now, and I'm hoping to be here for the rest of the week. There's a lot of stuff that I want to talk about today. A few trending trailers that came out this morning that I want to get into for a few summer films that will be hitting both streamers and theaters this summer movie season. Some awards news that I want to get into. Two major awards prognosticators or two major award precursors happen during the weekend that will be leading into the 93rd annual Academy Awards and a whole lot more. But the first thing that I do want to get into and Even though it's Tuesday, and I've done this sometimes when I'm not here on Monday, but every single time to start off the week, I do wanna do my spoiler review for the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And on Friday, I had my latest non-spoiler review on the fourth episode of the hit MCU show. And now I'm gonna get into everything spoilers with episode four, the whole world is watching. And now again, if you have not seen the latest episode of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and you don't wanna be spoiled, come back to this review when you have seen it. And like I've always done, I will put in the description of this episode what the time I am talking about this is so you can go on to the next topic, which will be the trending trailers revolving some of the, the movies. That came out this morning. So, that's the next thing that I'll talk about. And I'll make sure to put in the runtime, the time that I end the spoiler review on, so you can go on to the training trailers and everything else that I talk about on this podcast. And when you do watch the fourth episode, you can come back and listen to the spoiler review of what I thought about the latest episode. So, right now, again, you have been warned, I'm going to start talking spoilers about the Falcon and the Winter Soldier right now in three, two, one. Now it is time to talk spoilers on the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And like I said in my non-spoiler review on Friday, I love this episode. And again, so far each and every single one of the episodes for the Falcon and Winter Soldier have gotten significantly better each and every week. And I think this was the pinnacle point of the of the show so far. I think we've reached kind of the climax of the show, the tipping point, and now we're gonna get into the the downfall and, and the downside of the exposition of this show and the story that Macklin Spellman wants to tell with the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And everything really has again kind of been reaching to this bubbling point from the Sam. Uh, tr- what, what he does with the shield and giving it away, and the fact that we have a brand new Captain America and John Walker, and we slowly in the second and third episode start to kind of see this guy's descent into not being the the straight shooter that we see him to be in the beginning of episode two, and that kind of reaches the point of the ending of this episode, and that's where I'm going to really start with this episode again i loved it. i thought it was great and i i can't wait to see what the last two remaining episodes do but the the ending of this this episode is going to be one of the most memorable tragic moments in the history of the marvel cinematic universe and the final shot that's given at the end of this episode. It's just one that I think is going to be seared into a lot of people's brains for a long time to come. And it really is a tragic, tragic ending to this episode. And again, kind of reaches a tipping point for all the events that kind of culminated to this point of John Walker killing somebody with Captain America's shield, with Steve Rogers' shield. And that final shot where you see kind of just, just John just looking out in this kind of daze. And it doesn't seem like he has any kind of remorse on his face and you kind of see that wide shot kind of tilting upward of him just looking out with the blood on the shield and again Captain America Steve Rogers has killed aliens he's hurt bad people like Nazis but he's never killed an innocent person before and again the person that John Walker killed was the Flag Smashers and the Flag Smashers for the most part so far have really kind of been the antagonists of this season of this season of the show so far but just the way that we've gotten to know these the Flag Smashers from Carly and her and her comrades to understanding what they want to do but not not going through with the methods, is something that we'll kind of touch on a little bit later on with Sam and what he thinks about the Flag Smashers. But this instance of somebody just kind of giving up and and putting their hands up, which again is very significant for a lot of the social kind of undertones that Malcolm Spellman has been putting throughout this show so far, and this is the latest one where somebody doesn't have a weapon, isn't posing as a threat, and in just sheer rage and vengeance, because prior to John Walker doing this, his friend, his comrade, Lamar, was killed by Carly when they were engaging with the Flag Smashers along with Sam and Bucky, and... John was just enraged and just was consumed by vengeance that he decided to to kill somebody in cold-blooded murder. And, and that's something that with with Steve and in the the way that he portrayed Captain America and he took on that mantle of being Cap, he would never do something like that. Even if he was consumed by vengeance, as we've seen throughout the MCU, he he doesn't take it as far as killing people he subdues opponents to to to, to submit but he doesn't kill them in cold blood like that and that's a huge difference between John Walker and Steve Rogers just right off the bat that we see in this episode and of course the big thing is, is this this hashtag that I put out on my social media I think a lot of people did once they they watched the episode was that this is not my cap hashtag not my cap and I think again I was saying it in my non-spoiler if you walk away from that episode and you don't really have any emotion whether it's to jump hating john walker or feeling for bucky or for sam then i don't think you really will are truly invested in this show and i don't know how you will be invested moving forward but if you had this this sense of dread the sense of pain and shock and and shamefulness then i think that really goes to to show the credit of the show really investing in these characters and you as audience members, really being invested in the story in, 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 in these character developments that have been going on with every single one of these, of these performances from John Walker to, to Sam to Bucky's arc and even to Carly's as well. And I think it is a testament to how all this has really kind of been developing and how deep this show has really gone throughout since really the first episode And this really just does continue that. And of course, the big thing, the reason for why John Walker decides to kill somebody is because his friend Lamar is killed, but the reason he's consumed by vengeance, the reason I think he really decides to kill somebody is because in the middle portion of the episode, he decides to take the Super Soldier Serum. And the Super Soldier Serum is something that has really, I think, been really dived deep into in this show so far more than we ever really have had in the mcu beforehand i think maybe the only other times you can maybe say the super soldier serum was really talked about in this kind of depth was in the incredible hulk in 2008 and in the first captain america film but other than that we've never never really kind of dived into the ramifications of taking the super soldier serum because other than Bucky and Cap, there's really been nobody else that has gained these kind of powers. But the the way that that the writing has been it has you questioning all these different aspects of what we know in the Captain America Monarch to really be from the the powers to the shield it has just been absolutely pro- provoking and and really just makes you think a lot more than I think a lot of people thought and this episode really has you questioning the 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 the, the, the super soldier serum overall and really having you kind of think about the the enhancements of these of that serum and what it really means and the ramifications of taking that. And John Walker's the latest example of somebody who is a, a great soldier, somebody who is physically able and somebody who has the, the wherewithal of being somebody to take up the Captain America moniker and being a, a soldier for America. But deep down inside, there's something about him that the super soldier serum can corrupt. And I think you're seeing that happen with Carly and the Flag Smashers for the most part especially Carly where she's trying to do the right thing but because she has this power it might be corrupting her a little bit more than we realize or even she realizes it actually is doing and the same thing with Bucky and even though Bucky is somebody who was brainwashed by Hydra he was still somebody that used the Super Soldier Serum as as a, a weapon of, of being an adversary and, and not using it as a weapon for good. And even in this show, you kind of see Bucky even being a good guy, kind of going more into a gray area of utilizing the super soldier serum and the powers that he has. And there, there's this great sequence in the beginning of the episode and kind of transitioning over to Zemo and continuing to see kind of this team up of Zemo with Bucky and Sam that philosophical conversation continue from the third episode into the fourth episode about Carly and the super soldiers and the reason for why Zemo has so much distrust for the Avengers for Steve and for everything that he's done since Civil War and he kind of continues to give really good pointers on why super soldiers shouldn't be around and why having these powers isn't isn't really good for anybody and nobody should have these kinds of powers whatsoever and the really the outlier of it all was Steve Rogers and the reason for that kind of harkens back to Again, just going back to the incredible writing and tying back into all these different things within the mythology of Captain America is going back to the first Avenger where Dr. Erskine, played by Stanley Tucci, and Steve, before he takes the serum, Steve is asking Erskine why was he chosen when he's this skinny guy, he's got all these medical issues, why was he chosen? And Erskine says, listen, it's not about the, the physical enhancements, it's not about what you've you've done, it's not about your heroics, but it's what's inside of you that counts. And you're somebody who's willing to lay down your own life for men, somebody who's always looking to do the right thing. And even he asked asked Steve when he first meets him, do you want to kill Nazis? Is the reason why you want to join the war to kill people? And Steve says, no, I just want to help people. I don't like bullies. And he sees Nazis bullying people. And Again, it's just kind of showcasing that there's there's just this kind-hearted spirit in Steve that the super soldier serum just couldn't corrupt. And even just a little bit of self-doubt or some kind of egotistical aspect that somebody like a John Walker has, the super soldier serum would be able to corrupt that. And we see that descendant happen once John Walker takes the super soldier serum and Lamar is killed. Everything else is off the table and he's just able to basically act like a god and stop people whenever he wants to, and it results in him killing somebody. Whereas for Steve, it was always about doing the right thing no matter what, and we always saw it throughout his time in the MCU when he went up against S.H.I.E.L.D., when he went up against Tony in the Sokovia Accords, he thought he was doing the right thing, but he never took his powers for granted. He never utilized them for his own personal gain, per se, and was somebody that people always looked up to. And again, it just kind of goes back to that 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 conversation that Erskine and Steve were having, where Erskine said, just keep being who you are. Don't change. Don't let the serum change you for the worse. And I think that's what we're seeing with everybody else, where everybody is being corrupted by this super soldier serum. And... The whole aspect of it is really just kind of talking about being a good person. And this kind of goes back to to Sam and kind of continues to just to drive home the point of the differences between somebody like a John Walker and a Sam Wilson, where Sam is somebody who, again, had does questionable things from time to time, but his his intentions are always the right intentions. And he's somebody like Steve who isn't just trying to go gun-ho into a situation and try to battle somebody or fight somebody and because you have those enhancements you want to just you feel like you're invincible and you can take anybody on Sam is somebody who who again is more akin to what Steve does where it's about de-escalating situations and making peaceful situations happen when you can and in this episode you really kind of start to see and compare and contrast the differences for why John Walker shouldn't have the shield and why Sam Wilson should have the shield and that is no better realized than in the episode when John Walker and Lamar find Sam and Bucky with Zemo and they're there to kind of take Carly on and they kind of team up in this way. John just want to kind of wants to go in gung-ho, stop Carly, take her in, arrest her, whatever, by any means necessary. And Sam wants to take the more diplomatic approach. And he's somebody who says, look, I can empathize with Carly a little bit and I can maybe talk her down. And so you just kind of see the dichotomy between these two people already. And you go and you see Sam talk to Carly. And this is just another instance of just fantastic writing where, Sam is trying to relate to Carly a little bit, and shows just how how similar they both are, and that they they are fighting the same fight of wanting to create a better world for people. And for Sam, it's about creating a better world for 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 Black Americans, and for all Americans to unite. And, but it's it's about the the way that they go about doing things, where Sam wants to do it the right way. Sam wants to do it in a way where where nobody gets hurt and everybody can come together. Whereas Carly is somebody who wants that same objective. However, she's willing to go to great lengths if it means killing people. That that and a loss is a necessary loss. And. It's something that is just different. And it's something where that Sam just wants to make sure that everyone can come away peacefully like Steve has always wanted to do. And the same thing when in Infinity War, when Vision says I have to sacrifice himself and and Steve says we don't trade lives to, to Vision. And again, it's about not trading lives and not taking lives whenever they're not necessary. And that's the difference between Sam and John where... Sam as it, it seems like for the most part, Sam is able to talk Carly down for the most part until John comes barging in when he doesn't trust that Sam's going to be able to do his job and wants to take Carly down like she's a terrorist. And understandably, shows she is a terrorist, but Sam was able to relate to her in some kind of a way. And John just went in guns a blazing, and nobody trusts him to do what he needs to do. And for John, for the most part, leading up to him taking the super soldier serum. He sees himself as, even though he is Captain America, he has the shield, he doesn't have those powers that Steve did. And it goes into talking about when he he tries to fight the Flag Smashers, and he's not able to do that. And then, of course, we'll get into it in a little bit later on, but the Dormilaje, when they're just able to just kick his butt... And he even says it where they're not super soldiers. He just steeps down to such a low where he feels like he has no other choice but to take the super soldier serum in order to become equal to them or superior to them. And again, another reason why the super soldier serum will corrupt that and we end up to where we are by the end of this episode. And then, of course, the other dichotomy is the fact that John is willing to take the super soldier serum. And Zemo is somebody who who asked Sam straight up, would you take the super soldier serum if you were given the opportunity? And right away, point blank, and Zemo credits him for this, Sam says, no, I wouldn't take the super soldier serum. And again, it just shows that he probably knows and he sees how the super soldier serum is corrupting other people and kind of, in a way, credits Zemo for the ideas that he has of the fact that the the serum can corrupt people to a point that you can't save them anymore and that Steve was that out. Outlier. And again, I just think that the way that they're able to incorporate these philosophical conversations is absolutely magnificent. Now, I want to kind of move over to talking about the the and the sequence after Zemo and Sam talk and really kind of just really kind of going back to the beginning a little bit. We get kind of the, the the resolution of that cliffhanger from episode three, where we start off on the nation of Wakanda once again, and we kind of explore more of, of Bucky and more of his PTSD and the fact that the the Dormalaji, the Wakanda, and Shuri were, were able to actually get the the coding out of Bucky so that he's free of any programming. So when, if somebody wanted to use the words that Zemo was trying to use in Civil War to activate the Winter Soldier, they're not able to do that anymore. So you kind of get to see more of Bucky's development and what Bucky has kind of having to go through of being this prisoner within his own mind, and now he's free of that. And then, of course, we get more of the Dormilaji, and we get this awesome action sequence with... Ayo, who, who again, Io is somebody who stood out in Civil War, and I didn't see her in in Infinity War, but I knew she was in Black Panther. And of course, Donnie Guerrera's character does get a lot more showtime and an okoye with, with the Dormalaji. But Ayo really stood out in this episode and was just absolutely fierce. And the Dormalaji were incredible. And the action sequence between them and John Walker and, and Bucky and Sim, who try to protect Zemo and and it's just an awesome awesome action sequence and then the whole thing with Bucky's metallic arm and the fact that if you like hit certain puncture points in a way like it's able to fall off completely and showcasing that that the, the Wakandans maybe didn't trust Bucky all that much if they were to give him another arm really so it just it's just awesome and really really cool to kind of see all of that kind of play out in a way. And I would love to see the Dormilaje get their own series. And I know we're getting a Wakanda show. And I hope that maybe, and a lot of people want this, that maybe that focus will be on the Dormilaje and their, their clan uh, protecting the king and queen of Wakanda. So I hope we get a whole lot more of that. But overall, th- this show just had a lot of amazing action sequences from also the the, the hand-to-hand combat sequences between the Flag Smashers and Falcon and, and Bucky and then John John Walker and all of them and uh, of course the, the scene inside the church during the funeral is amazing but I think the highlight of it all is, is again the writing and the conversations and the philosophical aspects that are being taken in the show and, and I think WandaVision did a great job of scratching the surface of this in which again we get more in depth with these characters but we also get more in depth with the mythology of who these characters are and what they represent. And Wandavision is, is definitely more of a character-driven piece. And Falcon and the Winter Soldier is definitely a character-driven piece as well with Sam and Bucky. But again, the, the, it's also a, a great deconstruction of the Captain America mantle and what it all means and the mythology of Cap and, and everything we've established so, so far and questioning everything from, from the 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 potential of the Super Soldier serum. Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? to the shield itself. Is that shield worth dying over? Not really dying over, but is that shield worth representing yourself or or is it worth taking? What is what does that Captain America shield represent? And I think before the show, there was never really a thought about that. We just thought of it as Steve Rogers' shield representing Captain America. But the the, the symbolism of that shield, the symbolism of the super soldier serum is just just nothing I would have thought of whatsoever. And the show has begun to make me think about that in the greater context of things. And it's just been an absolutely incredible show so far. And I'm really, really excited to see where the last two episodes go. And yesterday we did get a mid-season trailer for the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and I wouldn't really even call it, it is a mid-season trailer, but we're past the midway season point of the show, because last week was the halfway point of the show, and now we only have two episodes left, but I think either way, the trailer did a great job of really, I think, kind of establishing one of the important aspects that the show is going to have to wrap up on and that is of course the shield and and who does it belong to? Does it belong to Sam? Does it belong to John? It seems like we're going to get this face off between Cap and Bucky and Sam and we're also seems like it's going to come down to a final match between John and the Flag Smashers and John and Falcon and Bucky and all this is really going to come to a head. So the The trailer really kind of focused on who will become or take up the moniker of the shield again. Who will it be in the end? But they didn't really, uh, they didn't focus on all the other stuff that's really going on from the Flag Smashers to Zemo. There's still so much to cover. In these final two episodes, and of course, Sam may be fully kind of completing his arc since the beginning of this show of accepting the fact that I do need to take on this mantle. I'm the only one that can preserve the image, preserve the shield and the legacy that it represents, not just to the world and to the country, but for this one man and in, in, in what he stood for and me taking on and representing what that shield stood for for this man and what i think this world this country of the united states can be in the end and being a symbolism once again of hope and justice and preserving the the future of the american way and, and showcasing the future of what america could be so those are some of the things that i'm really hopeful for i hope we get that but Episode four really was kind of hitting this peak that I hope the final two episodes is able to just kind of deliver on so, so well. And we know for a fact that episode five seems like it's gonna be well over an hour long. It'll probably be from in terms of the runtime, it'll be probably the longest Disney Plus episode between the Mandalorian and WandaVision and this. It'll be over an hour long, over 60 minutes. So I think they know they have a lot to cover, and hopefully we're able to kind of reach a good conclusion in the final two episodes of The Falcon and The Winter Soldier. So what do you guys think about this episode of The Falcon and Winter Soldier? Again, put down all of your spoilers in the comment section and leave your thoughts. i really like to know what you guys think about it. And I'll be back on Friday to talk about episode five non-spoiler. And then, of course, I'll be back on Monday to talk about episode five and all of its spoiler fashions and really get into the penultimate episode of the falcon and the winter soldier so that is it for my spoiler review again this is where i'm going to end the runtime for it and for everyone that's joining me back now once again if you have not seen the falcon and the winter soldier go back and watch this little description that i did and you can find my my description and the times of my spoiler review of the falcon and the winter soldier episode 4 in the comment section in the description. And if you wanna go back and listen to it, you can just go to the beginning of that and then you can see the ending of it. If you have not watched it yet, you can just go to the very end of this right now and move on to the next new segments that we're gonna get into, which we're gonna talk about right now. And we're gonna move away from the Marvel Cinematic Universe and go into some trending trailers that came out earlier this morning. And the first one that I wanna talk about is the full theatrical trailer for Army of the Dead, which was directed by Zack Snyder, and it stars an amazing cast from David Patista to Omar Hardwick to Garrett Deloon to Raul Castillo and Rich Sarone And this is actually the first film since Zack Snyder left Justice League in 2017 after the tragedy of his daughter, Autumn Snyder, killing herself. And this is really the first full theatrical film or first full-length feature film that Zack has done since the, the whole... Justice League drama really happened and we got to see his full cut of it this year and now we kind of continue on the Zack Snyder train with his first original army of the dead and I was really interested in this film because the the film that really put Zack Snyder on the map was dawn of the dead which was written by james gunn and zach snyder was able to just do something really cool with the zombie genre and then of course 300 took him to new heights and and so on and so forth i think a lot of people know the history from there and zach is really going back to his roots with this film and he's going to a streaming service to do that and of course he's a big proponent of the theatrical experience and it seems like netflix is going to be putting this in select theaters wherever they can right now and for for zach snyder i always thought that movie the netflix was you <laughs> always the best thing for him to do because it seemed like whenever he worked on a major motion picture like one of the DCEU films or a Watchmen, there would always be this director's cut. He wouldn't be able to make the movie he wanted to make in full entirety because he's working with a lot of people. And when it comes to big budgeted films uh, across all studios, it's not just Warner Brothers, but it's it, it's a relationship. It's a working relationship and you've got to compromise where you have to compromise on some things. And with Netflix, even though I'm sure you have to, to compromise on certain aspects as well for the most part they do allow a big gigantic net of creative freedom that you have and it seems like that is exactly what Zack Snyder was afforded with Army of the Dead as he's not just working on this film but he's also a big creator and making this entire universe happen where there's an anime prequel that, that that's going on there's a live action a German prequel that's going on as well there's a whole bunch of different things that are happening within just this one film that Zack is establishing so I was really looking forward to a lot of the stuff that was gonna come out and When I first watched this trailer, the one thing I was a little worried about was the fact that it was just a few seconds over three minutes long. And knowing Zack Snyder's films and knowing how Warner Brothers marketed a lot of his DC films in the past, I was, especially Batman v Superman, I was worried that it would give too much away and I would know more in the trailers than I would in the movies. And I was thoroughly surprised by how wrong I was about this trailer as I loved every single moment of this trailer. And I do have to say, this is probably one of the best constructed trailers that I've seen in a long, long time. And what do I mean by that is when you watch a lot of trailers for the most part, there is never really like a beginning, a middle, and an end. There's no story told within trailers. You're just kind of introducing a lot of the characters, giving a little bit of a taste of what the story is going to be, some action, and kind of leave it off on, on a big bang for people to be excited about. And that's pretty much it. And trailers for a lot of parts are their own art. I, I mean, a, a lot of tra- a lot of uh, post-production houses just do trailers, and a lot of studios hire. These, these outside companies to work on the trailers and to kind of work with the promotion and the marketing campaign of what they want to put in these trailers. And so again, you just kind of put a mosh together and there's no real story told with it. With this trailer, I actually got like a full blown kind of like mini story with this trailer where it very much was a three-minute trailer, but it really was more of a, an establishing of what we're gonna get. The, the first like minute, minute and a half is really just introducing us to all these characters, the basic setup, and the fact that that the Dave Bautista's character has to get this group together to lead a heist into las vegas into this casino that is overrun by a army of zombies and the the last half of the trailer is just all this crazy action Then we get inside the casinos we get all this amazing zombie action and it seems like the zombies aren't just these mindless living oops that we see that just not that just want to eat living creatures and living human beings but they actually have brains they have motivations it seems like some zombies might be in relationships there seems like zombies have actual leaders that lead this army in las vegas so it just seems like a crazy crazy time and it didn't give anything away i didn't i didn't really get any kind of big Big like information drops that was like oh my god that's gonna be in the movie and no twists and turns anything like that it was really just establishing the story establishing the characters establishing this team that's gonna be going into the Vegas giving us some awesome action sequences throughout and a little taste of what those sequences are going to entail seeing kind of this post apocalyptic Las Vegas uh, uh, an Elvis zombie in in Vegas it seems really cool so it just seems like Zach is really once again. And going back to his roots of what made him a very well-known director in the first place and it seems like he's having a lot of fun with this and you just see it on social media he's having a lot of fun with it he's really excited for people to see this and this thing does come out it will be releasing in select theaters in may and then it'll be hitting netflix on may 21st and i think that is a perfect time for the start of the summer movie season right around that more memorial day weekend time period i think people will really be gravitated towards this it's got to be big star in Dave Batista. he's not really like a main a-lister like a Dwayne Johnson but I think when you look at Dave Batista, you know him of course for playing Drax and Guardians of the Galaxy so I think even without all that makeup put on him I think people will know him for who he is and I think people will go for him I think people will go for a zombie movie in Vegas they'll go for Zack Snyder's name in this film as we've seen with the Snyder Cut there's a big fan base of just him as a filmmaker not just because of DC so, I think people will go and watch this film, and it just seems like a fun roller coaster adventure to check out during the summertime. I think this is one to definitely, definitely check out and put on your radar. Definitely check out this trailer because, again, even at three minutes, you will not be spoiled. I think you will enjoy it and will really be interested if you weren't already in checking out Army of the Dead, which, again, will be hitting select theaters and on Netflix on May 21st and select theaters in May. So definitely check that out when you have a chance. And I highly recommend and I can't wait to look forward to Army of the Dead. And the, the final trailer that came out today that I was I was intrigued with this film that I wanted to check out, and that is The Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard, which is a sequel to the hit, I believe it was 2017 film. I'm gonna look that up real quick, but it is it is the sequel to the hit film in yes, 2017 that came out with Ryan Reynolds and Samuel L. Jackson, the Hitman's Bodyguard. And I really enjoyed The Hitman's Bodyguard. I loved the chemistry between Ryan Reynolds and Samuel L. Jackson. It had some great laughs, some great action, a run-of-the-mill plot, nothing to blow your socks off, but a fun time in the theaters nonetheless. It made a good amount of money to turn a profit, and that it warranted Lionsgate to greenlight a sequel. And we are going to get that sequel, and it seems like it will be returning Ryan Reynolds and Samuel L. Jackson into this film, but also giving Selma Hayek's character, who plays Samuel Jackson's wife in this film, it gives her a a bigger role to have than she did in the first film, in which it seems like she's going to be the main target that Ryan Reynolds has to save in this film. And then along with those big three, this is an insanely stacked cast that includes Frank Grillo, Richard E. Grant, Antonio Banderas, and Morgan Freeman in in some capacity. It's not really shown in the trailer what he's going to do. Patrick Hughes, who directed the first film, is back in this. So we're getting kind of the band back together for this film and just doing it again and seeing this first trailer i'm interested in it i'm happy to see what this film is going to do because it just seems like it's amplifying more of what I loved and really enjoyed in that first film where it's just Samuel L. Jackson, Ryan Reynolds ripping off one another. Now you insert Salma Hayek in here who really stole the show and a lot of the scenes that she was a part of introducing kind of her into this kind of crazy partnership as well. And the action looks awesome. I love that scene where Ryan Reynolds is kind of on a sabbatical and he's just kind of reading and and just kind of relaxing with headphones on and all this crazy chaos is going on behind him. So it just seems like a fun, fun, fun time. And again, another film during the summer movie season that if you want to check out in theaters, I think you'll just have a a ball with. And again, it's not going to make you think it's not going to really be an Oscar contender. It's not going to do any of that. And it probably won't even be one of the highest grossing films of this year, even in a COVID year. But I think it'll be a lot of fun. It's got marquee names with Ryan Reynolds and Samuel L. Jackson. So I think that in and of itself, along with sama Hayek, will get people to go to the theaters and check this one out on june 16th so i very much like the trailer i laughed at it i had fun with it so i'm hoping that that'll translate over to the entirety of the film when it comes out on june 16th and having a really fun time with it as well so what do you think about both of these trailers what if you have watched both the army of the dead trailer and the hitman's wife's bodyguard trailer which one was your favorite was it army of the dead was it hitman's wife's bodyguard let me know what you think down below and leave your thoughts. And now I wanna move over to some award season news that happened over the weekend. And two major precursors to the 93rd Annual Academy Awards happened over this weekend. It was the DGA Awards, which is the Directors Guild Awards, and the BAFTA Awards, which is basically the British version of the Academy Awards and the DGA is for the most part a good indication of who could very well likely end up taking home that Oscar gold for best director last year it wasn't the best uh lineup with the of who won best director at the oscars and at the dga the dga winner last year was sam mendes for 1917 this year at the oscars it was of course Bong jun ho and this year i don't think we really have to worry about any competition as this woman has just been kind of destroying the field since the beginning of this film's rollout during the festival season last year and of course chloe zhao continued her reign winning the dga for best director for no man land and she made history as she has been making history throughout this award season and very well will be doing it on oscar night as well as this is the second time the dga has been going to a female director the first time was of course catherine bigelow for The Hurt Locker, which she also went on to win the Oscar for Best Director. And she did become the first woman a uh, female director to win the Oscar for Best Director for The Hurt Locker as well. And Chloe Zhao also made history on her own, becoming the first woman of color to win the award as well. She beat out David Fincher, Lee Isaac Chung, and Emerald Fennell, who are also up for the Best Directing category at the Oscars this year. So again, for the most part, it didn't line up. And I think for Chloe Zhao. I think this is a tremendous feat for her. And again, some you could maybe say that there's some competition. Maybe Emerald Fennell or Lee Isaac Chung could be in the mix for this race, but I don't think that's going to be the case whatsoever. I do think that, again, Chloe Zhao, has been winning everything left and right, whereas last year, Sam Mendes, Bang Joon-ho were kind of trading off precursors left and right. This year, it's really just kind of been one consistent winner throughout. I think that is going to remain the same thing with Chloe Zhao, and I think she is, again, a lock once again to win the Oscar for Best Director. So congratulations to her for winning this award, and again, I've said it before, and and I'm gonna say it until Oscar night comes around, and that'll be the last time I say it until the film comes out hopefully in November, but for all the Marvel fans, all the Marvel studio fans out there who are looking at Eternals, this is your director for Eternals. You're gonna have a potential Oscar winning director for the first time really, Oscar winner for the first time directing one of your Marvel Studios pictures. So a lot of excitement, and I think for Chloe Zhao, this is the the start of a remarkable 2021 she is going to have with both this and, of course, The Eternals coming out. And real quick before I move on to the BAFTAs, I also do want to give a little shout out to the winner of first-time feature film directing, and that went to Darius Marder, for the Sound of Metal, which I'm so happy for him because especially when you hear the story of how personal of a film this was and he had a hand in writing the, the screenplay, the story to it, it's just an absolutely amazing achievement. And what he did with Sound of Metal from the, the creative ways he used sound and, and his editing with sound just was absolutely remarkable. The performances that he was able to get out of both Riz Ahmed and Olivia Kolk and, and, and Paul Reese, who never did a, a film before this one, is just... Which it's just remarkable so I'm very very happy for him I'm very very happy that Sound of Metal is getting a little bit of love that maybe he wouldn't get in other awards bodies Darius Marder is not up for best director at the Oscars this year so for him to get this recognition and for the recognition of the film I'm very happy for him and I'm very happy for the film Sound of Metal itself so what do you guys think about both Chloe Zhao winning for Nomadland and Darius Marder winning first time featured film directing for for Sound of Metal. Let me know what you think and leave your thoughts. And then, of course, talking about the BAFTA awards. And sometimes there can be a little bit of a crossing between the BAFTAs and the Academy with some of their winners. Some of them are within the Academy branch, but some of them are not for the most part. So again, it's... It's a little it's a 50/50 in terms of who wins who will win at the Oscars and who will win at the Baptists but sometimes the Baptists can give us a good idea of who is going to most likely win at the Academy Awards this year. And for the most part, it kind of stayed on course. There were a few surprises that did happen. The, the the obvious ones were, of course, Nomadland won for Best Picture. Chloe Zhao, once again, won for Best Director. You also had Daniel Kaluuya winning for Best Supporting Actor for Judas and the Black Messiah. And I think this really, once again, after winning the SAG, really cemented him as being the front-running, almost a lock, to win the Oscar for Best Supporting Actor. And the same thing for yoon John. Yoon for Minari after her incredible win for the SAG about a week earlier, and Jason and I were kind of talking about this in in which the only way Maria Bakalova could any kind of really make any kind of comeback would be winning the BAFTA. That did not happen, and Yu jung Yu won this award, and I think she, once again, solidified herself as being the true frontrunner of winning Best Supporting Actress at the Oscars in a few weeks from now. And, of course, Best Animated Feature went to Soul, which was no surprise, and also Best Original Screenplay going to Promising Young Woman. That seemed like to be the frontrunner, especially after winning the WGA for Original Screenplay. I think since that point, Emerald Fennell seems like she could very well be on her way to winning her first major Oscar for her first major film. So that's an incredible story as well. And if she can't get the Best Directing Award, I think getting a Screenplay Award is just as great as well. And again, there were a few surprises that did come out of this this show. And I think the biggest one was... Anthony Hopkins winning for Best Actor. Every other award's has been Chadwick Boseman winning for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. And I think it was more just the fact that could he kind of make it a perfect tally with the major precursors? Because again, he's been winning every single award left and right, but there was an instance where there was one award that he could lose. It would be to it would be this award, and most likely because it is Sir Anthony Hopkins. He's basically kind of in his home court. He's got a home court advantage, and I'm sure the British Academy revere him. He's a legend, not just in, in, in the UK, but of course around the world for all of his legendary acting credits that he has given us throughout his life. And I just think they gave him this. He's been getting rave reviews for The Father. So I think they saw this as an opportunity to award him for another fantastic performance. And he, he deserves it from everything that I've heard about what he does in The Father. I think, again, it was more about if he won if if he was going to win anywhere, it was going to be at the BAFTAs. But I don't think this is going to cause any kind of friction whatsoever. This is, again, Jason and I say it, a lot of people try to be penting this up for drama sakes. But I think for the most part, he can kind of, put this one, another one in the books, where I think this is still going to be Chadwick Boseman's award to win at the LA Union Station and Dolby Theater on April 25th on Oscar night. So again, it was a big surprise, but again, if there was an award for him, if there was a chance for Anthony Hopkins to win, it was going to be at the does, and it did happen. And then another major surprise was also in The Father, where that one won Best Adapted Screenplay over no Land, in which the father won best adapted screenplay and can really kind of I think put it as a as a number two against the frontrunner of this category in no land. So we could be having a little bit of a of a battle between the father and no man land for that best adapted screenplay win at the Oscars. So We'll see what happens, but again, this is shaping out to be an interesting battle as well, and again, for no Land, it did win, along with Picture and Director, it also won for cinematography as well which i do believe that it makes it the front runner as well to win cinematography at the oscars as well and it also won best actress Frances mcdermott won best actress at the baftas this year and again this just adds more wrenches in the craziness of best actress this year and I don't know if there's really any kind of history behind this, but other than Vanessa Kirby, every single one of the actresses that are nominated for Best Actress at the Oscars this year has won a precursor Award And it was Andrea Day starting it all off with winning the Golden Globe, surprising the world winning that one. You had Carey Mulligan winning the Critics' Choice Award for Best Actress. Then you had Viola Davis upsetting Carey Mulligan to win the Best Female Performance in a Leading Role for a Film at the SAG Awards. And now, of course, you have Frances McDermott winning the Best Actress, BAFTA, this year. Now, the thing that makes this a little bit more of a of a long shot of, I think, Francis McDermott really being part of this conversation is the fact that in Best Actress, at the BAFTAs there are only two of the nominated women in the best actress category at the Oscars there was only Frances McDermott and Vanessa Kirby Carrie Mulligan was surprisingly shut out of that conversation and especially was a shock because of how well the Promising Young Woman did on nomination day when it got a slew of nominations and it won a few as well and then of course you had you didn't have Viola Davis a part of it. You didn't have Andrea Day, but you did have those two leading ladies in that category. So I think it made it a little bit less of a competition of this really being an indication of what's going to win because you didn't have any of those other ladies that won a, a won an award in, nominated in that category. So I don't think it did any services anyway, whether it was Vanessa, Vanessa Kirby winning or Frances McDermott winning that as well. I think it wouldn't have been much of a race it would have kind of solidified that it is a three-way race right now if Vanessa Kirby won. Cause again, kind of like Anthony Hopkins, Vanessa Kirby is from the UK. She's in home court. She, the, the, I'm sure the Academy loves her, but Apparently they didn't love her enough, and they decided to give Frances McDermott the award for Best Actress anyway. So again, it makes it a little bit more of a four-way race right now. But I still think Frances McDermott is on the outside looking in. What I in what is really truly a tight matchup between Still Andrea Day, Viola Davis, and Carrie Mulligan at this particular moment and time. And it's gonna it's it just adds more of a monkey's wrench into that category, which I don't know where it's gonna land. I don't know where the, the Best Actress is going. I'm still having my ups and downs about. It and I'll give my predictions about it when Jason and I do our, our final predictions on the Friday before the Academy Awards. So you have to stay tuned for that. But again, this just adds more in my thinking of who I think will actually win this award. And again, I think this is the most tightly contested race that I've seen in a long, long time. Where it's not just a, a two, a one-on-one matchup. This is like a, this is a three-way matchup right now between these two actresses for who could take home the Academy Award for Best. Actress in a leading role. So there's still a lot to figure out with this, but the Baptists did give an indication of who the true front runners are and solidified a lot of people and who could be taking home gold at the Academy Awards on April 25th. So what do you think about the DGA Awards and the BAFTA Award winners? Let me know what you think and leave your thoughts below. And the final thing that I do want to talk about on the Sam Bissell podcast today is some unfortunate sad news that came out of Hollywood last night. And it wasn't necessarily somebody dying, but it really felt like a deathly blow to theatrical exhibition which has been trying to to claw its way out of everything that COVID-19 has thrown at it in terms of shutting down opening back up shutting down and with the news of Godzilla versus Kong potentially breaking even and making a profit for Warner Brothers right now and being a big savior at the box office right now showcasing that times are brighter ahead in the days and months to come. Unfortunately, last night, there are some things that still are happening that, again, we're not gonna get back to normal for a while. And it was announced yesterday that the famous ArcLight cinemas and Pacific theaters will be shutting down effective immediately. And for those of you that don't know, this is very well known in LA. The ArcLight is one of the most pristine independent theaters in in the country. I mean, in LA, it is the place to go. And ArcLight specifically houses the famous Cinerama Dome, in Los Angeles. And if you don't know what the Cinerama Dome is, if you've seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, there's a quick shot of it towards in the beginning of the third act of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, where Quentin Tarantino shows the lights of the Cinerama Dome coming on in this big white oval shape and like a bubble. And it's got the the Cineramas and all these bright colors to see. It's very lavish and amazing. And the Cinerama Dome is state-of-the-art. It has some of the best projections, screens, audio in the world when it comes to giving you the best theatrical experience you can possibly have. And a lot of people were mourning it, and it's not just at the Cinerama Dome or Arclight was just a, another theater. It was a small theater. It was big enough that the, 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 the biggest filmmakers in the world revered the Arclight cinemas in, in the Cinerama dome. And they would always host their premieres there. They would host Q and A's there. There's a website called Collider where they, for their Oscar show, especially in 2019 before the pandemic during that Oscar season, they would host a bunch of Q and A's with some of the biggest awards contenders of that season. They had once upon a time in Hollywood they had Little Women there. They had Smart, They had Us. They had so many different films that were a part of that Q and A session that people could be a part of. That it was just absolutely one of a kind, and it just it just was absolutely amazing. And it's a big influential part and a big it's a big chunk of movie history, especially theatrical history, where people generations of people have been going there for so long. And I think for a lot of cinephiles. The, the the dome and for myself personally if 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 we never lived in la and if we were given a chance to go to la that was one place that you, we had to check out like that was on like the top top five top three places to definitely check out if you're a movie buff if you're a cinephile if, if you're a theatrical goer That's a place that you have to just check out and experience it for yourself. And as of right now, it seems like those dreams, those aspects are no longer possible for people right now. And this is a statement that came out of the company that owns the Pacific Theaters and Arclight Theater area in Los Angeles. And this is what they had to say. After shutting our doors more than a year ago, today we must share the difficult and sad news that Pacific will not be reopening its Arclight cinemas and Pacific theater locations. This was not the outcome anyone wanted, but despite a huge effort that exhausted all potential options, the company does not have a viable way forward to all the Pacific and Arclight employees who have devoted their professional lives to making our theaters the the very best place in the world to see movies. We are grateful for your service and your dedication to our customers, to our guests and members, Members of the film industry who have made going to the movies such a magical experience over the years our deepest thanks. It has been an honor and a pleasure to serve with you. And again, make no mistake, there have been a lot of blows to theatrical exhibition throughout this entire pandemic. But this one truly is like hitting the jugular in in a human being. like This is hitting the, the main artery in the bloodline of theatrical movie going, especially in Los Angeles, where if everything was right as rain right now, ArcLight would be making tons of money right now with everything going on. They host so many incredible special events. I know when Godzilla King of the Monsters came out, you can go on Twitter and see it in honor of that release. They had the head of Godzilla kind of bursting out of the cinema dome and kind of lighting up the sky like it was doing its atomic breath. So it's just, it's something that is not, replaceable and people like ryan johnson james gunn lulu wong barry jenkins were all coming out in support of of the uh, of the cinema dome and of of ArcLight and everything that they were able to do and of course the people that you really break for are the people that worked there that that's that took a lot of dedicated hours of their day to make sure that it that everyone's theatrical movie going experience was the best was in tip-top shape and for a lot of people you have people that work there and will move on and do other things in their lives, but for some people, their lifeline is working at movie theaters, and especially at places like the the ArcLight and 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 Cinerama Dome. It's just it, a lot of people like dedicate themselves and and really performing themselves on that craft and and of making sure that theater is in pristine check, especially a place as revered as that. So it's just it's a very it's a very sad sad day for the actual exhibition when it comes to that and. Again, we still have places like AMC and Regal, but they're kind of owned more by corporations that are able to kind of take the hits and not worry about it so much. And we've seen that it seems like for right now, they've seen the light at the end of the tunnel. But again, with with places that are just very much independent, and it seemed like for Arclight and Pacific, they weren't very much independent with the way that they were living and how they had so much successful business. But if you don't have anything that back you up, it's tough. And to go a year plus without any business or very small business, you're... not going to be able to make it out of that. And I think even if they had, if they were going to open back up again for A Quiet Place Part 2 and Cruella, who knows what kind of offers or what kind of money that they would have really brought in. And if Cruella was going to be a day and date like it is on Disney Plus, who's to say that people will say, you know what, I'd rather spend the 30 bucks staying at home and watching it than having a night out in the theaters and seeing it. So there's just, I think a lot of things in play for this. And I think the one bright spot you could hopefully take out of this is that Maybe somebody comes along and saves these theaters, and somebody who has the money, who has the capital to do it, can save these places. And and there's already play, there's already tweets calling for someone like Quentin Tarantino to save the Cinerama Dome and ArcLight, or for somebody like Christopher Nolan who loves cinema to come and save it. And I don't know if those guys are going to do it. I think you're going to need actual business people to to do this and 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 filmmakers like qt could come along and be a part of that of that plan and part of that ownership but i think you're gonna need business people to do that you're gonna need companies to save these theaters and i think someplace like the cinerama dome ArcLight, those will be saved because i think again they they're so influential and so integral to the theatrical ex- exhibition of the biggest market in in an exhibition and theatrical exhibition that it's not just a place where just people go and that it. You have, again, an, an indie premieres screen there, premieres screen there, Q&A's screen there. You actually get stars and directors to go there that I think it's too big to not just to, to, to just let it go. So there is hope that maybe one day, hopefully in the future soon, in the not too distant future, that somebody comes along and saves these theaters knowing the impact that specific specifically something that the Cinerama Dome, that Arclight have on on cinema goers, on movie goers, and that it is a big part of the theatrical exhibition experience. And it gives you some once-in-a-lifetime experiences. And I think you see that on social media today with people kind of paying homage to it and giving their condolences and paying tribute and respect to that theater. So again, it's a sad day. It's a very sad moment, but hopefully hopefully in just a little bit of a bright spot that maybe somebody can come along and save that theater. What do you guys think about the Arclight Cinema Dome? If you're somebody that lives in L.A., if you're somebody that went to L.A. and experienced a a, a movie in those theaters, let let us know in the comments section what those experiences were like. Let me know. I'd love to know what you guys think and leave your thoughts. But with that down and out of the way, that will do it for this edition of the San Cell Podcast. Once again, everybody, thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to check out my channel for more content. You can check me out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Podcasts public SoundCloud, and much more. Also, make sure to tune in onto The Biggest Podcast Solutions and be sure to check out the other amazing shows that are on there, such as You Mad Bro?, the number one source to see what the internet is pissed off about on a weekly basis. Also, check out Goal Driven Professionals geared toward improving client relations, return on investment, and customer acquisition costs for independent businesses and services. Also, check out The Daily Grind, a weekly motivational podcast with Kelly Johnson giving you everyday tips and key takeaways on reaching your goals. Also, along the way, make sure to check out these other amazing shows on the podcast Solutions, such as Wrestle Attic Radio, Friends Media Podcast, and Midnight Showing. You can check these out and. So much more on the website, AmbiguousPodcastSolutions.com. Also on Facebook and Twitter at RealAmbiguous. And if you want to check out Canobie Treehouse, use the coupon code AMBIGUOUS. Also, when you get a chance, make sure to follow me on social media. You can find me on Twitter at Bissell Samuel. That's B-U-S-S-E-L-L-S-A-M-U-E-L. And also on Facebook at Sam Also, you can follow me on my YouTube channel as well, the Sam Podcast. So, guys, once again, thank you so much for tuning in. And until next time, keep On Screening.